Well, it is good to be in Washington this weekend, and uh, I, I, I love your area. I love that region. I love uh, the Spokane area and Coeur d'Alene. It's a beautiful area that you all live in. Uh, last night at our hotel, I met a guy from Seattle, and when he heard that I was from Louisville, Kentucky, he started making fun of our zoo uh, in Kentucky. And he said, your, your zoo is so different than ours in Seattle. And that kind of kind of bothered me a little. I said, we actually have a great zoo. And he said, well, I, I admit it, it's, it's, uh, it, it might be great in your eyes, but uh, it's just very different. I said, well, well, tell me, how is the Seattle Zoo different than what we have in Kentucky? He said, well, in Seattle, if you, if you visit the zoo, on each cage, you will see the name of the animal in English, and next to it, you will see the name of the animal in Latin. I said, wow. Uh, I said, what, what does ours say in Kentucky? He said, in Kentucky, on each cage, you will see the name of the animal in English, and then next to it, they will have a recipe. You know, uh, there was nothing I could say. Uh, but it, it is great to be here. I, I really appreciate the impact that, that Valley Real Life is having throughout this entire region. You all are blessed to have Dan as your lead pastor. I love his energy. I love his passion for evangelism. I've listened to several of his sermons, and you all are very blessed to have a strong biblical preacher uh, who also loves his flock and loves the Lord. So, Dan, thank you so much for inviting me to come. Several years ago, I heard about a family that had participated in a dedication service at their church. The parents had dedicated their four-year-old boy that day. And as they pulled out of the church, they noticed that their son was kind of crying and, and whimpering in the back seat. And so they asked him what was wrong. And through his tears, he said, well, the preacher said that he wanted us to be raised in a Christian home, but I want to stay with you guys. Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads worshiping with us today. Uh, we are honoring you this weekend, and we appreciate all that you do. Author Tim Keller says it like this. He says, you've been handed a piece of history in advance, a gracious gift you send to a time that you will not see, and you play the biggest role in how that history will ultimately unfold. Our text today is so encouraging to me. We, we turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, and it is the story of a priest named Eli, and this story provides for us both a good and a bad example of parenting. Now, Eli was a good man, but he was a very weak spiritual leader. And Eli meets a woman named Hannah and her husband named Elkanah. And she has been unable to get pregnant. And it was incredibly disheartening for her. And some of you know what that pain feels like. And each year, she and her husband would make a journey to worship in a town called Shiloh. And there she would, would pour her heart out to the Lord, and she would just beg of him that she would be allowed to have a child. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And that was her prayer. And Eli, the priest, is there. And on hearing her story, he sends her on her way. And he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. 
And soon after that, Hannah becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son who she names Samuel. And Hannah is grateful and gives glory to God for this, this child. Now look at verses 27 and 28 of the text. She says, I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. She doesn't just dedicate him to the Lord. She keeps her promise and she gives him to the Lord. It's, it's a privilege and it's a blessing if God allows you to be able to have a child or to adopt a child or to help raise a child. That is a privilege and honor. And every parent's goal is to raise your child to love the Lord. And so today what I want to do is I want to I focus on three gifts that every dad must give to their children. Here's the first gift, and that's the gift of consistent discipline. Now, for some of the, the teens and, and young people in, in the congregation, that might not sound like a gift, consistent discipline, right? Because in your mind, discipline has negative connotations, and because your parents maybe at times have disciplined out of anger, or, or maybe you're hearing this and you say, sometimes in my own life as an adult child, you would say, my parents, when I was young, they didn't always have a rhyme or reason. They certainly didn't have consistency to it. Now, in our text, we learned that Eli the priest has two sons. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. I want you to say those two names out loud with me. Here we go. Hophni and Phinehas. Fortunately for us, those two names never caught on in our culture. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. They had no respect for the Lord. I, I didn't know that the word scoundrel even appeared in the Bible to describe someone, but that's what they were. And they were grossly abusing their authority, these two sons. And Hophni and Phinehas always made certain that they got a much bigger portion of the food sacrifices that were brought in then. And they were to receive... A certain amount and they took more than what was allowed in the Lord's house and the Bible says in 1st Samuel chapter 2 verse 17 so the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt this was a pattern of disobedience from their younger years that now has moved into adulthood so learn a positive lesson from their negative example if bad behavior is not confronted early, it will get worse and worse. Let me put it another way. Realize that your little angel is not a little angel. Your child is a sinner, and so are the parents of that child. And we've all been infected with this sinful nature. But appropriate and consistent discipline is one way to show your child that you love them regardless of whether they are a toddler or whether they are a teenager. And parenthood is modeled on the relationship between God and us. He has the right to call the shots. And as parents, so do we with our children. You say, but Dave, I, I want my child to, to like me. Well, deep down, so do I. I'm, I'm a people pleaser and I want to be liked. But throughout their adolescence, they, they don't need you to be their friend. If you lean toward lenience, your child will constantly play up to you. 
And whether your child is three or whether they're 16, they will gravitate toward the parent that they can manipulate. And the biggest mistake that the parents make is failing to be consistent with their discipline and expectations. So never discipline publicly or out of anger or out of frustration. Always do it out of love. Some parents give too much freedom. Then when they realize their kids are out of control, they try to quickly rein them back in and they smother the child with rules and restrictions. But in those early years, you are establishing your right to rule as dad and mom. And you're calling the shots and they're learning to respect your authority by the way that you lovingly discipline them. Now, there are a lot of rules in those early years. That's a good thing. In fact, in that stage, boundaries foster security. You are saying, because I love you, there are consequences if you step out of bounds. But in a healthy family, the older the child gets, the more they prove themselves faithful, they deserve more freedom and responsibility. God's plan is for this to be a progressive releasing. And the biblical principle that is unfolding is, is what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 25 when he said, be faithful in the small things and I will put you in charge of many things. And for some of you parents, you, you need to step it up and consistently discipline. But it doesn't stop there. The second gift is unconditional love. God the Father modeled this for us with his son at Jesus' baptism. You'll remember back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, uh, Jesus is baptized and says, A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Some translations say, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And dads, when it comes to unconditional love, positive words are a good starting place, but actions always speak louder than words, regardless of their age. Our kids give us plenty of good and bad opportunities for us to show love to them. I remember when I was 15 years old and I, I experienced every teenage boy's dream. My mom and dad went out of town on a trip with some friends of theirs. Two whole days with, without any parental units, right? And at the time, my dad was the dean at a Christian university. And since he didn't trust my brother and since he didn't trust me, He'd arranged for us to stay in the dorm. Uh, in other words, 24-7 surveillance of, of their offspring, right? And this way, he said, I'll know when you guys come in at night. So we said, okay, we understand. We wouldn't trust us either if we were in your shoes. But the problem and the tactical error that my parents made was when they went out of town with this other couple, mom drove a car and dad drove a car and they met at the college campus. And no sooner had they left with this other couple than my brother came to me. My brother was 18 at the time. I was 15. And he gave me the keys to the family's second car, a 1969 Dodge Dart. It was a chick magnet. Well, maybe it wasn't. But he said, hey, you've been a good, good brother. While I'm away at work today, why don't you take that car out for a spin, make certain it's running properly? I said, I am not worthy. You're the best brother that ever lived. Now, you have to remember, I was, I was 15 years old, so I didn't have even a learner's permit. In Ohio at that time, you had to be 16 to be able to even have a driver's license or a permit. And so I did what my brother told me, and I, I actually drove around the campus 
for two solid days. And I would wait for young administrative assistants to, to come out of a building and I'd say, hey, Angie, do you need a ride? She said, yeah, Dave, I'm going to the other side of campus. I said, hop in, I'll, I'll give you a ride. I'd drive her over there. I said, when are you coming back? About 10 minutes from now? I said, I'll wait right here. I'll give you a ride back. So I, I was the first uh, Uber driver to ever be employed in Ohio. And out of the goodness of my heart, I just ran this shuttle service for free for these uh, beleaguered secretaries. But every person that got in the car with me, I said exactly the same thing. I said, hey, whatever you do, don't tell my parents. Don't tell my parents. And they'd say, oh, Dave, nobody's going to tell your parents. Nobody's, your secret's safe with me. Well, mom and dad returned to town, and for the first couple of days, everything went great. But on the third day, my dad came back home from work, and he slammed the front door, and he said, boys, he said, I want to see you in my study. Well, we sat down in his study. He slammed that door. He started pacing. It wasn't even that big of a room. Eventually, his eyes met ours, and in a passionate voice, he said, is there anything that you boys want to tell me? Well, they had been gone for two and a half days. We had done a lot of different things. And we weren't exactly sure what it was that he had on us. And early on, my, my brother and I, we adopted a philosophy for life. Never confess to a felony if he only has you for a misdemeanor. So he said, is there anything that you boys want to tell me? I replied, we, we have nothing to declare. And my dad, being a preacher, immediately began to spout off an impromptu parable. He said, a certain man went on a journey out of town with his wife. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know where this is going, right? He said, a certain man went on a journey out of town with, with his wife. Before leaving, he entrusted one set of car keys to his older son, who took another set of car keys that we had given him and passed them on and entrusted them to his younger brother, who did not have a driver's license and yet proceeded to drive all around the campus of the university for two solid days. He said, what should happen to these two boys? Dead silence. Again, he said it, what should happen to these two boys? And finally, my Sunday school training kicked in, and I said, as surely as the Lord lives, the elder brother must die. As I recall, uh, my dad did not think it was that funny. And when I turned 16, he said, happy birthday, Dave, but you're going to have to wait a while to get your driver's license. Ow. There were consequences, but there was not condemnation. And after two days, he came walking in my room and he said, hey, let's go. I, I, I said, where? He said, let's go get your license. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, you drove for two days? I made you wait for two days. I said, thanks. We show grace because we all need grace. And if you don't sense that your, your parents love you, then you become a, an adult child who longs for that. And you're likely to seek it in very unhealthy ways. Christian author John Eldridge says, your son or daughter, no matter how old, will always want and need to hear these words from you. You have what it takes. You are worth fighting for. He's saying, in other words, I believe in you. I love you. Consistent discipline, unconditional love, and dads, here's the third gift 
that you need to give your children, and that is spiritual direction. The pandemic gave us more time with our children, but did we take advantage of that time, dads? Or did it just mean more time to fish or to hike or to hunt or to camp or to be out on the boat without them? You see, your priorities reveal to them whether Christ and the church should be important in their lives. And these are times of teaching, teaching opportunities and and teaching opportunities and chances that you have to point this younger person in the proper direction. Well, back to our story here in the Old Testament. Evidently, Eli was silent in the early years with his sons and they they lacked direction. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, it says, Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things that you are doing. Why do you keep on sinning? These are the priest's sons. They work alongside their dad, the priest, and the gals who were coming to worship. They're taking them off to the side and they're sleeping with them. His sons, the Bible says, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. And their dad told them what to do and what not to do. But they didn't listen to him. And evidently, he didn't put any teeth behind what it was that he said. And my guess is that this had been a pattern of parenting for quite some time for Eli. He was there, but he wasn't there, if you know what I mean. Husbands, has your wife ever said that to you? Well, you were there, but you weren't really there. You see, Eli's job, his, his ministry had had captured more of his attention than even his children had. And if you're a parent who works full-time, you know that tension between balancing job and family. And there was a season in my life when I was enjoying uh, speaking and ministry opportunities, and more so than I was pouring into my wife and my two small daughters at the time. And 60 to 70-hour work weeks were were the norm for this driven workaholic. And my self-imposed quest to provide for my family was actually causing me to neglect my family. But all of that changed one Father's Day. Before my sermon, there was a soloist that was singing a song, and I was sitting there just before I came up to preach, and here were the lyrics of the chorus that she repeated several times. Slow down, Daddy, don't work so hard. We're proud of our house. We've got a big enough yard. Slow down, Daddy. We want you around. Daddy, please slow down. And when she finished singing, I confidently strode up to the pulpit to preach. And I tried to speak, but nothing came out of my mouth. And tears just began to flow. And I tried to say something, but I I had been rendered speechless. And so the worship leader came out and said, hey, let's sing a chorus and, and give Dave a minute here. And, and they sang a chorus, and then I, I regained my composure and, and continued to preach. Later, I learned that when that happened, our children's ministry director was seated next to her, her son, who was young, and he said to her, Mommy, why is Mr. Stone crying? 
And Linda very candidly replied, well, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, sometimes you cry. Ouch. She is no longer on our staff. But she was right. And when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, sometimes you cry. But on that day, with the Lord's help, I can honestly tell you that I changed. I intentionally began to place my family where they belonged, and that was above work, but below God. Dads, it's impossible to give spiritual direction if you don't spend time with the Lord yourself. If you don't have anything to draw from when it comes to that well. And there's a tendency, I think, dads, for us at times to say, when a child comes with a spiritual question or to ask you something about church or about life, to say, well, you know what, that's your, that's your mom's category. That, 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 that's, that's her stuff. You, you talk to her about that. But the challenge for you today is to begin to spiritually influence your kids, to let your kids know that Jesus is a, a greater priority to you than your job, even than, than your family itself. The psalmist, David, gives us an interesting metaphor for raising children in Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5. He says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I love that analogy because King David compares children with arrows. So what can we glean from that? What process must an arrow undergo back when David wrote those words? Well, for an arrow to serve its purpose, it had to be straightened, it had to be sharpened, it had to be aimed in the right direction. And fourthly, for an arrow to serve its purpose, it has to be released. Remember, you are raising them to release them. An arrow can never fulfill its purpose if you don't let it go. And may I add that arrows fly straighter and more freely when they know that you believe in them. I am firmly convinced that the best way to spread the gospel is for dads and moms to joyfully and consistently live out their faith. And when they do, their family tree can be changed for all eternity. You are trying to pave the way for your kids to make their faith in Christ their own, not their parents' faith. 1 Samuel chapter 3 uh, tells us that Samuel is living there at the house of the Lord. He's been there for a number of years. We think he's probably maybe a young teenager at this time, maybe, maybe 12, maybe 13 years old. We don't know exactly. But Samuel is about to fall asleep, and he hears his name called out. And he gets out of bed, and he, he thinks it's Eli, but Eli says, no, I, I didn't call you. And this happens again. And Eli says, I, I didn't call you. But after this happens a third time, a light bulb comes on in Eli's mind. And Eli realizes it's the Lord who is calling to Samuel. And so Eli tells Samuel, go back and lie down. And if he calls you again, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Bible says that the, that the Lord came and stood there calling out, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. The message paraphrases 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. It says, God said to Samuel, listen carefully. I am ready to do something in Israel that is going to shake everyone up and get their attention. 
And God goes on and he shares with this boy some of the things that he is planning to do in Israel at that time. And God is sharing information that will help Samuel become a godly leader, the leader that the Lord wants him to be. So if you teach your child to listen for God's voice and how to know God's will, God just might use your child to shake things up for an entire nation. And Valley Real Life's vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And VRL's mission is to be and make disciples. What, what a great mission. What a great challenge for us to be and to make disciples. The New York Post ran an interesting story on March the 17th of this year. In April, uh, in Southern California, theme parks were going to begin to open up with limited capacities. But in March, the California Attractions and Parks Association voted and they announced that they wanted those who rode their roller coasters to remain silent and refrain from shouting during roller coaster rides. Even with people seated in every fourth row on a roller coaster, they were still concerned that the coronavirus would be spread by their blood-curdling screams. And so Disney encouraged roller coaster riders to do this. You know what they encouraged them to do? To scream in their hearts. I'm not even sure how, how you would even enforce it. And I don't know how that's working for them. But dads, here's what I do know. Satan wants to do anything he can to silence your spiritual voice with your children. And when it comes to this culture, Satan wants you to blend in rather than to stand out. And he will say things like, uh, it's fine for you to be a Christian dad, but if you share your beliefs out loud with other people, they're going to think that you are some type of a spiritual fanatic. It's okay to have a faith. Just keep it in here. Scream it in your heart. Let me point out something that I don't, don't want you to miss. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, it begins by saying that the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. So he's in the right place. He's in God's house. He's worshiping. He's learning. He's serving. That's all good. But here's the verse that every parent needs to see. And it's the seventh verse of 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. You say, whoa, 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 wait a second. That, that's got to be a misprint. You just said that Samuel was, was serving, he was worshiping, he was ministering. Well, you've got to get this. He knew about the Lord. He just didn't know the Lord yet. Dave, you mean to tell me that it is entirely possible for my child to, to grow up at VRL, to make countless visits to the kids' area, and then to be actively involved in middle school midweek, and then to participate in a CIY move week as a high schooler, and then go on a VRL mission trip to Uganda or to the Philippines, and still not know the Lord? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Religious activity does not automatically equate to spiritual intimacy or salvation. And that statement is true for adults as well. Because if religious activity was the ultimate goal, then Jesus didn't have to go to the cross 
and died to become a perfect atoning sacrifice on behalf of us. If activity and worship attendance is what God is looking at rather than our hearts, then Jesus would have applauded the Pharisees rather than rebuking them. Now, those activities, those classes, those camps, those, those mission trips, those are all good things. They're just not a substitute for making Jesus the Lord of your life. That's a personal choice that your child will have to make. My mom's favorite verse is 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. And your words and actions as parents can help to shape their spiritual formation. Erwin McManus preaches in the Los Angeles area and Several years ago, he spoke at a conference where he shared about the time that his nine-year-old son had returned from a church camp out in California. And McManus says that, I thought, boy, this would be a great experience for him, sending him off to church camp, and he would learn some new things. He'd learn some scriptures. But when his son came home, he was tucking him into bed, and as he started to leave the room, Irwin started to turn out the lights. And he said, no, Dad, Dad, just to keep the lights on. I'd like to sleep with the lights on tonight. And Erwin leaned in and said, well, well, why? You always sleep with the lights off. He said, no, I'd, I'd rather sleep with them on. And Erwin started to add things up in his mind. He said, son, he said, Aaron, did, did they tell you ghost stories at camp and scare you? And Erwin's son said, no, dad, they told me demon stories. What do you do when your kid comes home and says, I can't sleep, Dad. They told me all these stories about Satan and his power. I should have, Irvin McMahon says, I should have just sent him to a good pagan camp where they tell you all about ghosts. And I could have just said, hey, there's no such thing as ghosts. Go to sleep. But what am I supposed to tell my child and be honest? Am I supposed to say, hey, yes, Aaron, Satan is the prince of darkness. He rules this earth. He utilizes countless demons who are invisible. They're everywhere. They're in our city. They're in our subdivision. They're even in our home. They're even in your room. Good night. Turn the lights out. No, you can't do that. And Aaron began to plead with Erwin and said, Daddy, Daddy, please pray for me. Pray for me, Daddy, that God will make me safe. And Erwin McManus said that he got down on his knees right next to his son's face. And he said, honey, I won't do that. Because in my mind, I thought when it comes to Christianity, he said, I, I don't want him to live a life of safety. And I said, Aaron, I'm not going to pray that. And he said, dad, dad, pray that God will keep me safe. That he'll make me safe. His eyes got real big. And he said, I'm not going to pray that. He said, I'm going to pray that God will make you so dangerous for Christ that all the demons will have to flee when you enter the room. And his son looked up at him and said, all right, Dad, and you pray that God makes me really dangerous. Those words of life had a long-term spiritual impact on Aaron. Dads, what if you were to stop praying prayers of safety for your children and you started praying for God to boldly use your child as an instrument of the Lord. When it comes to parenting, God is more concerned with your direction than he is your perfection. There's no such thing as a perfect parent, but with the Lord's help and with a lot of prayer, he can use you. And your greatest accomplishment to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do, but someone you raise.
Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you asking you as, as the, the Father, the Father who is the example for all of us, asking you to give us wisdom and guidance, guidance that would help us to discipline consistently, to say, Lord, I, I, I want to be that consistent Father just, just like you are, to be that Father who loves unconditionally just like you do, and to be that that Father that points our kids in the right spiritual direction. Help us to aim our arrows in the direction of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.